Well, I just want to start off uh, just by revisiting that second song that we sang here today. Uh, the first verse says this. It says, How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. There is so much power in those words as we look at scriptures today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7 and and we're going to deal with a passage here in which the Pharisees are, are making their ways. The Pharisees were, were the religious leaders who, who really tried to not only hold to every law, but they tried to lord it over the people. And so as we dig into God's word today, as we look at Mark chapter 7, I'm just reminded of those words of the song that, what great a chasm that I could not reach on my own. I don't know about you, but how many of you are glad that we're saved by grace and not our own works? Amen. Amen. I could not make it on my own. Meg would say, no, he could not. Uh, and, and we each know our own limitations. But I came across this illustration, and I really feel that it, it works with today. It says, one Sunday, a man sat for a church service, and then on his way home, he fussed about the sermon. He griped about the traffic. He complained about the heat, and he made a big fuss about how late the meal was served at lunch. Then he bowed and prayed, giving thanks to God for the food. His son was watching him all the way and through the post-church service experience, just as they were beginning to pass out the food, he said, Dad, did God hear you when you left church and started fussing about the sermon, the traffic, and the heat? The father blushed and said, Well, son, he heard me. Well, Daddy, did he hear you when you just prayed for this food right now? And he says, yes, yes, son, he did. He heard me. The son turns to him and says, well, dad, which, which prayer did Jesus believe? See, I think it's so easy for us to, to slip into these little idiosyncrasies, little pockets of hypocrisy. I don't know if you've ever been this way. How many of you have went to church and your kids are fighting? There's just like, it's like World War III in your car the whole way there, right? And then you get out of the car and you're like, all right, children, let's bless the Lord, right? And, and, and I remember we went to this church, we did traveling music ministry, and we pulled up to this church in Akron, and it was like, I'm almost at eight, so it was crazy. There was fighting going on, and we pulled up, and everyone put on their church faces, and we hopped out, and this lady came up and said, your family's such a blessing. And I said, well, thank you. You know, my dad's like, well, thank you. You know, they're our little angels. And I'm like, that's not what you said five minutes ago, Dad, right? Um, but, but we all struggle with this. And so the Pharisees, as we see, they're so concerned and so consumed with outward appearance that, that they don't really get to the heart of things, the fact that God doesn't care about our outward appearance as much much as he cares about our hearts. And so if you're like us, there's always the concern that we can easily move into hypocrisy. In fact, the, the Greek word for hip, hypocrite comes from the word Hippocrates, which is, means to be a stage actor, or it means to, to have someone that uh, they would do these plays and shows, and they would have these faces on these little sticks, and they would turn them to fit whatever mood the characters were in at the time. And so when these Pharisees come to Jesus, that's the very mindset and very heart they're coming at it with. They don't really want to hear what God has to say. They just want to hear their own voices. And so as we dig in today, let's go to the Lord again in prayer and ask the fact that the Lord would work in our hearts and it would be him 
they would speak through us, or to us and not me. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and we ask that you would work in our hearts and our lives. God, I pray that you would bring conviction in areas that we need convicted, that you would uplift us in areas we need uplifted, and you would encourage us in areas that we need encouraged. Lord, we don't want to leave here today the same. Jesus, we're asking you to work in our hearts, to work in our lives, and ultimately to make us more like you. I want to start off with here the, a few verses who have really spoken to me over the years. We start off with 1 Samuel here. And if we remember back to when Samuel was to dedicate King David as the next king, he shows up, right? And he's looking for one that looks like a king who looks the part and he can't find one. And God gives the prophet Samuel these words. He says, but the Lord said, Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Later, we see in Proverbs, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but the motives are weighed by the Lord. We're going to see here that the Pharisees thought that they were right in their own eyes. How many of you have, have adamantly thought that you had it going on, that you had the right perspective, and then later on you just feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit or my wife uh, and, and my heart uh, and saying, you know what, Dan, you're a little bit off basis there. And I go, oh, no, I, I know what I'm talking about, right? And then as I get alone with the Lord and I spend time reading his word, it starts to challenge me and show me, you know what, there's things I need to surrender in this particular passage, um, the Pharisees are, are going to come to Jesus and their whole motive and, and, and thought process is to disparage and to bring down the ministry of Jesus. And so let's start here. Mark chapter 7, we're going to read verses 1 through 6 to start off. It says this, Then the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with, his, with their hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating the food which, with defiled hands? So I think we need to get to the heart of what this trip and visit is. Now, the Pharisees aren't concerned about the cleanliness of the disciples' hands. In fact, the ceremonial cleaning had nothing to do with actual cleanliness. It was a ceremonial ritual that, that, that goes back, that we'll see in a, a little bit, back to Exodus that was given specifically for the priest and when they would make sacrifices and offerings. And it uh, applied a cup or a, a uh, egg and a half. That's how they did measurements, I guess, back then. So it was, how would you like that in your kitchen instead of a measuring cup, right? So they did a uh, egg and a half of water, and they would pour it in the basin of their hand, and they would rub it with their wrist, and then they would flick the water off, and then they were considered ceremonial clean to eat. In fact, some religious Jews during this time would actually do it in between courses. So let's say you would eat your, your, your salad, then you would wash your hands in between each meal, but it had nothing to do with the purity of heart. And so the first thing we see here, though, is this line, having come down from Jerusalem, 
every time that that um, passage is used in the New Testament, this is the official delegation. So these are the religious leaders. These are, they're not just sending the people in training. These are the head officials of the Pharisees. And this was an official delegation that was coming to do nothing other than finding fault with Jesus and his ministry. How many of you love being around people who like to point out all your faults and failures? Right? You're like, oh, man, we're getting together with Jim this week, and it's great. I mean, he just, he, he tells me everything that's wrong with, not, not that Jim. I just picked a random name. I forgot. Jim's right there. Uh, but, you know, he's just going to, I'll just pick on you. He, he likes to tell us everything that we do wrong, right? No one wants to be by those people. Yet it's so easy to become those people in our heart, isn't it? We can see everything that's wrong with others, but in our own hearts, we don't examine. And so the framing here, uh, if you go back to Mark chapter 3, verse 22, we see this thing where Jesus is healing people and he's casting out demons and lives are being changed and, and his own family is going around saying, he's crazy, just ignore him, right? But we see the Pharisees come to him and once again, they came down from Jerusalem. And here they say, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Now it's interesting what would the Pharisees have normally done with a crazy person that they thought was possessed? Nothing. They would have ignored him. He would have been an outcast and everyone would have walked by. Don't, I find it interesting the fact that the Pharisees took time to go and talk to Jesus because he was a challenge to the status quo, to the way things were going. And so they didn't understand how Jesus could perform these miracles, how he could do these things. And they taught people how to tear apart the ministries of Jesus. They did this under the disguise of trying to investigate Jesus in order to protect the people. So in other words, it would be like Jim come over and say, well, Dan, I really care about these people, so I'm going to tell you everything that's wrong with your life, right? But, but they were digging in with the disguise of protecting the people, but really their hearts were just bittered and hardened. And so if you're going to judge someone, you need to have a criteria to judge. And so we see here the fact that they had already made up their decision about who Jesus was and they weren't interested in listening to him. Folks, I want to ask you this. Are there those of you in this room who when we, we come to the Lord, we've already made our decisions. How many of you spend time in prayer and you really, you're like, Lord, we're going to pray for your blessing. We, we, just, we just purchased the house, right? That's, that's one of the scariest and biggest things you can do. And sometimes it's easy to go, well, we're going to pray about it, but we really know what we're going to do, right? We're not going to the Lord to ask really what he wants. We're just saying, God, just confirm the decision we've already made. They had already made their decisions about who they thought Jesus was. Secondly, the basis that they would use to judge Jesus wasn't scripture. It wasn't the word of God. It was religious and uh, it was religious laws and, um, that were put together by the elders and the leadership. It had nothing to do with scripture. It was all about tradition. And so we're going to see here in, in verse 4, here's where the elders come and they start accusing the disciples. It says, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? See, if they had come to him and said, Jesus, see, the Bible, or the scripture says this, the Torah, here's the law. 
your disciples aren't following it, that might have been a different story, but they don't bring that. They bring the tradition. I'm going to ask you this. How many times do we let our traditions or our preconceived ideas of church or how people should act or how people should look determine in our heart who we feel should or should not come in here? I mentioned this earlier. You know, for years in my heart, there's things and laws that I had added that that really I thought that if people didn't match with my political affiliation, that there's no way Jesus could really reach in their heart, right? That, that, I mean, how could they not get this? And we can have disagreements, but I was missing the fact the most important thing is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have all the laws, you can have, walk certain ways, but if you don't know Jesus, it doesn't mean anything. With my own children, I struggle with the same thing, that, you know, we want them to look a certain way, we want them to act a certain way, we want them to behave and not, to not run. And I think a lot of times we can build a pharisaical heart into our children if the most important thing isn't loving the Lord. And so we get back to this thing about eating with defiled hands. And we see this comes from Exodus chapter 30, verse 19. And this was laws that were given down to Aaron and his sons, that they were to wash their hands and feet with water. And this is before they were to make sacrifices. In Exodus forty twelve, we see the same thing, that they were to bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent meeting and to wash them with water. Now, the thing about this is that there were 613 laws that were given to the Jews to follow. Can you imagine? 613. Most of those laws, though, if you read through them, were given to, given to the priests or those who were to execute the sacrifices. Out of that, they had the Mishnah, which was a collection of, of laws or verbal sayings. And, and to the Pharisees and, and to this sect of the religious Jewish culture, the, the law outweighed any scripture. Now, uh, those of us in this room, we think, you know, we don't do that in our own hearts, but are there things that we put higher than worshiping Jesus in our, in our own things, right? If church doesn't go the way we go, want it to, or if we don't sing the songs that we want to sing, or if we, we don't don't feel a certain way, we think, you know what? I didn't get anything out of church today, right? And I'm talking my own heart here. But when we look at this passage here, the, the Pharisees were, were trying to not only live up to these laws, but they were trying to bring everyone in with them. And can I tell you, for years and years, I struggled with this mindset. I knew that I was saved by what Jesus had done for me, but I thought, if I go to church a little bit more, then God will love me. If I give more tithe, then God will love me. If I do all these things, then God will love me. When the truth of the matter is, the Bible says that my righteousness is just like filthy rags. That we're only saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so there's this whole mindset of the Pharisees here trying to indoctrinate people. The fact that if they don't live up to every one of these laws, that they're lost. And the truth of the matter is they were right. The way that it went is the fact that if you didn't live up to every single law, there had to be a sacrifice. So they would continually go to the temple and they would continue to make these sacrifices. But it was never enough. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is more than enough? Right? We sang that song uh, two weeks ago, and that, those words have just been stuck in my head. Let me ask you this. Is Jesus Christ more than enough for you? Their own personal laws outweighed and superseded all else, including the very words of God. 
To most Jews during that time, not following the tradition of the elders would have been an offense. To Mark's mainly Gentile audience that didn't have Jewish affiliation, though, the laws would have seemed overwhelming. In fact, we've been reading for the Bible with a group of, of people from church here. And as we've been reading through Exodus and Leviticus and, and part of Numbers now, I'm overwhelmed with the sense of the fact, God, I can never live up to these standards. But we see in Scripture that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Also, though, Paul says that what now should we continue going on sinning just because we're saved by grace? This is by no means, right? That's the cheap in the gospel. But what the Pharisees are saying here, in part what they are doing, is asking the creator of the universe, Jesus, why don't you follow us? Why don't you do what we say to do? And, and we do this, right? Our, our children do this. I mentioned this a few weeks back that, that we were uh, celebrating my daughter's birthday and another person's birthday a few months ago. And we were buying gifts. And I kept telling my son over and over again, Nehemiah, I love you, buddy, but I want you to repeat this phrase. Today is not about you. And he's like, oh, and so he'd be like, My, today is not about me. And finally he got frustrated. He said, Dad, can't today be just about me just a little bit? <laughs> I think that's what we do a lot of times with God's word and, and our relationships with him is that, that we, we shift the focus. And if you're trying to make God love you more by following more rules and more commands, you're missing the boat because there's nothing we can ever do to make him love us more. And so I have a few quotes here from rabbis just to show the, the breadth and the gravity of this view that tradition superseded God's word. Rabbi Eliezer said, He who expounds scripture in opposition to tradition has no share in the world to come. What he's saying is if you use scripture to oppose tradition, you forget about life and eternity, right? You're, you're done for. The Mishnah, a collection of Jewish traditions in the Talmud, records it is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict Scripture itself. I want to tell you that if you hear something today that does not line up with the Word of God, look at that and say, you know what? Dan was wrong today. <laughs> because our job is to follow Jesus Christ, not any particular person. And these Pharisees were holding and lording over the people, their position of power, and de demoralizing them into the fact that, that, that giving them laws that they can never do. You know, we think about our own children, and it says, fathers, don't build up, you know, don't, don't cast more on your children than they can bear, right? That, that we're not to, to pour on all this extra stuff, but these leaders were doing that. We see also the Jewish rabbi, Jose Seth, said this, he sinneth as much as who eateth with unwashed hands as he who lieth with a harlot. Do you see the skewed view that they had on Scripture? Now, we may not always hold laws over God's word, but we can make our own preference and thoughts over what is really important, can't we? They would law at, Next, they would add laws into themselves and and I want to challenge us with this. Are there things that we add to others that we need to repent of? Um, when I worked at a, a store um, years ago, 
I was working at a music store, and there was a guy who, who worked with me, and, um, you know, he dressed in all black, head to toe, had piercings all over, and he had tattoos all over, and I just kept thinking, you know what? Man, he's, he's never going to come to know Christ. Man, I hear the way he talks, never going to happen. What I was doing is I was selling the gospel short, and one day he came to me and said, Dan, I want to let you know, today I, I took the 60 seconds and I, I gave my life to Christ. Now, there was some rough polishing, all right? And so someone came into the store and they uh, spoke about Jesus and he jumped up and was ready to fight him. I was like, well, buddy, that's not really the way this works, right? Uh, but, but the truth of the matter is that we can easily cast things on people, unrealistic expectations that we ourselves can never fulfill, Think of my own children. It is easy for me as a parent and a pastor to try to add extra things to my children or my wife. You know, there's a lot of times where um, things are busy. How many of you guys have had, moms have just had hard times with your kids, right? Can I tell you that I've struggled with this before? We've had youth group or we've had different events and I'll call and say, Honey, you need to get here. You need to be here right now, right? And I'm adding all these things. That doesn't dictate her loving Jesus. Sometimes our kids are, it's, our house is crazy sometimes, right? But I can add things onto other people. I can add things onto other pastors. I can add all these things. If you love God, wouldn't you be doing more? When really the question should be, how's your walk with Jesus? Are you spending time in his word? And so for years, I thought that God would love me more if I, if I gave more, if I served more, if I did different things. Now, all these things are good to do. It's good to, to, to fill yourself up with holiness. But, but the question is, does Jesus love us more because of that? Or does he love us just because of what he has done? We can teach people to do good things, but that doesn't make them a follower of Christ. I can have, I can have children who, who walk in line. They, they never mess up their clothes. That's not going to happen, right? They, they, they do everything right, but if the love of Jesus Christ is not in them, they have missed the picture and I have failed. Not in the, the fact that they accept Jesus or not, but the fact that I was pushing the wrong things. In order to put on a good show, we can easily make our children to be Pharisees. Now we jump into verses 6 through 8 here, and we see that Christ shows the supremacy of Scripture. He replies in verse 6, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus would not make friends in a playground, right? You think about earlier on in, or later on in scripture, he calls them a brood of vipers. Now he's calling you hypocrites. These aren't words of endearment. These aren't things you would say to someone that you want to be close to. But Jesus is disgusted by their lack of understanding of what God truly desires. We see we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. But they're adding other things. It says, verse 7, They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go the commands of God and are holding on to human tradition. You see, Jesus goes right back to Scripture. He uses the prophet Isaiah to show the error in their ways. They are worshiping, but it's, it's all for naught because what they're worshiping is really their own accomplishments. If I can get to heaven on my own by doing good things, would there be a need for Jesus? 
No, but yet oftentimes I still think and I still struggle with, God, you'll love me better as a pastor if I do this, if I do that. And if I, if I serve, if I get myself so busy that I forget to even spend time with you. You know, my relationship with Meg wouldn't be very strong if I never spent time with her. And yet we show up on Sunday mornings oftentimes and we say, God, why didn't I feel you? Why didn't I hear you? When the truth is that oftentimes we don't know where our Bibles are. We, don't, we haven't spent time with God. Our hearts are distant from him. And so we must not so easily cheapen the gospel and think that we can add something in our own makings to enhance what Jesus Christ has already done for us. I have a question for you. Would, and this one's convicting for me. Can I tell you that I had more time, more of a trouble rustling over this passage this week than I have in probably a few years of wrestling with passages that I preached on. And I think because as you dig through things, the Lord will illuminate your heart and show you areas that you need to change and that, that you're, you, you need to give over to him. And I wonder and I pray, would God say this about us as at Hope Church here today? They go to church, but their hearts are far from me. They give tithe, but their hearts are far from me. They talk about Jesus, but their hearts are far from me. They sing worship songs, but their hearts are far from me. They read their Bibles, but their hearts are far from me. And for me, it's been, you preach, you sing songs, but is your heart really close to me? And I'm like, and that gets you at the core of your being because, because when I'm reading this, I have two, two things that I could do. I could say, God, look at all the things I do for you. Aren't I wonderful? Or you can say, Lord, will you forgive me for making it about things that aren't about you? And so they've replaced God's commands with their own. Are there things that we add to the gospel that we need to repent of? Maybe it's, our view on worship. Maybe it's, um, if we aren't careful, we can replace the gospel with a version of cheap grace. I mean, the fact that on the flip side of the laws, we can say, it doesn't matter. I can go sin and do whatever I want. Jesus will forgive me, right? It's like a, a never-ending debit card, right? That you can go and just spend whatever you, you need to spend. The truth of the matter is that God's grace cost us something dearly. It cost him his own son, Jesus Christ, upon that cross. And this isn't to be a discouraging or disparaging message. This is good news. The gospel is called good news because it's the fact that we couldn't live to the law, but Jesus Christ stepped down out of heaven, lived a sinless, perfect life, and died on the cross for you and I. But guess what? He didn't stay there. He rose again. And so the same thing in the life of a believer, when we read God's word, it changes us. It makes us new so that now we can live with him. And so he continues on, and we're going to go through here quickly in verses 10 through 12. Jesus adds on, says, For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. Anyone who curses their mother, father and mother is to be put to death. That's a law, that's a command. And for people who are so strict and stingy to hearing, adhering to the law, Jesus brings us next condemnation against them. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you are no longer allowing them to do anything for their father and mother. 
For Corbin was money that they would set aside and say, God, I'm setting you aside this money. It sounds really good, right? And so we say, God, this money is only to be used for you. But here's what they would do. They would set aside this money, but they wouldn't give it to anyone. It wasn't given to the temple. It was just money that they would use to eat, eat with. So they would eat dinner and say, God, this food belongs to you, right? And, and so everything they would do was out of selfish and impure motives and, and hearts. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you're, you're, you're holding people back to following the very commands of God by adding your own laws. And that point, Jesus turns the conversations back on them. Now, they wouldn't have to ever give a single thing, but it sounded good. Let me ask you this. What are the things that we do just because it sounds good, Right? Well, people might ask you, your, your family might ask you, or someone might ask you for help. Be like, oh, I gotta, gotta go to the school today. I'm helping out with Kids Hope. I'm such a wonderful person, right? And these are all great things. And I've caught myself in this trap over and over and over again of putting things in places that Jesus belongs. And, and they are serving and our attitudes can become our idols. But Jesus says, is jumping into verse 14 again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And on to verse 18, don't you see nothing enters a person from the outside that can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now what Jesus is getting to, to hear is the fact that he's getting to the heart of the matter. The heart of it isn't, isn't what are you doing on the outside? Jesus is concerned about their hearts. He's concerned about where you are. So if we come up here, and, and whether I'm, I'm leading worship or, or we're playing guitar, and, and my heart is everywhere else but here, I'm missing the boat. It looks good to people, but what's going on inside? And if you think about how many of you have ever seen a wormhole in an apple when you picked it up to eat it, right? You're like, ugh. Here's something that is interesting. If you see a wormhole, the worm's not in the apple. The worm is gone. In fact, what happens with, with a wormhole is... is um, uh, a, a worm uh, will crawl onto the flower bud of an apple tree, and then as the apple starts to form around it, the worm actually grows inside of the apple, and it eats out the middle of the apple and crawls out. Well, sin is the same exact way. It doesn't come from outside of us. It comes from within our souls and within our hearts. And so when I'm struggling with anger, that anger can fester and, until, until it erodes the, uh, inside of me and eventually finds its way out. And so Jesus finishes up with these last few verses here. He says, For it is from within, out of the person's heart, that evil thoughts come. See, the Pharisees were looking on the outside, and they were only concerned about that. And Jesus wants to bring complete healing in our lives. It says sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. It's interesting. When we 
allow these things to fester in us and we put on a show or facade at church, you know what? We feel bound, don't we? There's a weight on us. There's a heaviness that comes to us that that just holds us down and it keeps us in place from really worshiping God freely. And so what Jesus is saying in this thing that all these things come from the heart, what would happen at Hope Church if we would say, I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. And we would pray for one another. We would uplift one another. And we would see Jesus Christ work and change our lives. And so Charles Spurgeon had this to say. He has a few quotes on on this passage. He said, this is a 13-part list that exposes the kind of evil that lives in the human heart. You don't need to travel a long distance to find the source of these sins. You don't need to conduct an exhaustive research. All you need to do is look within your own heart. The source from which these rivers of pollution proceeds is the natural heart of sinful man. Sin is not a splash of mud upon the man's exterior. It is a filth generated from within himself. Think about those words. But let's be honest. How many of us are more concerned with people seeing what's on the outside than what's on the inside, right? We think about this. We say, how are you doing? And that's like just the new hello, right? We don't actually want to hear what's going on. But at the heart of this, if we can't be honest and real with ourselves of what's really going on and the hurt within, then we don't even allow Jesus to bring that true healing within. Spurgeon also says this, I sicken to think how, many, how man has plunged his fellow men by his sins. But I will not go through the list, nor need I. The devil has preached upon this text this week, and few have been able to escape the horrible exposition. What he's saying there is, each one of us have our struggles. If we were to even just go for the Ten Commandments, just ten, we couldn't make it. Yet there's 661 laws and all these other traditions, and and you had to meet all these criteria to make your way to heaven, and you couldn't do it. And that's when Jesus provides the way Sometimes I have caught myself up at late at night and um, I'll make a groaning noise and Meg will be like, what do you have, stomach problems? What's going on there? And it's I wake up and I think of all the careless words that I've said, all the things that I've done that have broken the heart of Jesus. When really Jesus Christ wants to take that and remove that from us and he wants us to experience the freedom in him. You see, Jesus came to the cross knowing the sinful heart and condition of men. But knowing that we, we can never fulfill the law on our own, he made his way known to us. And the way he did this, as we talked about the Pharisees earlier, they were concerned about the cleanness of the, Pharisee, or the, the disciples' hands. Isn't it ironic that Jesus cleanses us by defiling his own hands with our wretchedness upon the cross. It was what we have done that Jesus took all the sin upon himself. In fact, it's even touching someone who is in sin, where you could be considered unclean. Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself. And he didn't do this so that I can continue living on a hypocritical manner and trying to, to act like I'm something I'm not. In fact, Jesus came so that we can look at the verse in John 1.12 where he says, Yet to all 
that did receive him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called the sons and daughters and to become children of God. Can I tell you that before my title of pastor, before my title of anything else, the most important title I have is a son of God. And I tell this to my children. My first title is God's child. Second one is your mom's husband. Third is father, son, friend, and then pastor. Because if I don't put Jesus Christ first, nothing else that I do in my life really matters. I can look good on the outside, but I could be dying on the inside. So I want to end here with these four questions. Are you putting on an outward appearance of holiness while you are dying on the inside? I'll never forget my time at Malone. I was really grateful for it. But I would get up and I'd lead worship in front of all the students and I'd think, you know, Lord, am I really, am I really even saved? Looking at the way that I, the things in my own heart, the wickedness of it, and, and, and yet... I came to realize the fact that I can never lose something that I never earned and the joy that I found in that. But then also the fact that God called me to more. He calls us to holiness. Holiness is the thing that Jesus calls us to, but he doesn't care what's on the outside. He cares about your heart. He cares what are you doing in the middle of the night? What are the conversations you're having with your children? What are the, what are the, the ways that you're spending your money? How are you giving to the poor? How are you caring? How are you, are you being honest when you're at school and you have a test? Are you cheating or just getting by? Anyways, no one will care, right? But we'll look good. Jesus cares about the issues of our hearts. In Matthew 23, verse 27 to 28, he sees the Pharisees and he calls them whitewashed tombs because they were beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they were dead. Do we put, and also are we so involved in serving that we forget whom or why we're serving? We might be helping in children's ministry or worship or greeting, but we forget why we're doing it. We're not doing it so God will love us more. We're doing it because why are we at sinners? Christ died for us. Do we put unrealistic expectations on yourself and others? Maybe some of us need to go and say, Lord, I've been trying to do this on my own and I need your help. And lastly, is Christ calling you to come and die to yourself and surrender your will to his? Uh, as, as Pastor Jims comes up with the worship team, I want to challenge us this morning. There is nothing fun about... One of the songs that I love is, is called um, Never Once. And it talks about being trapped in the lie of inward sin, right? And it talks about, about how you're able to cover this mask, but inside we have this need, that desire to be made whole. And as we sing this last song, we'll come to the altar. I, I want to challenge you. If you're here today, don't leave today thinking, you know what, God, I, I don't want to get right with you because other people might see that I have things in my life that I'm struggling with. Today, let today be a day where you say, Lord, I want to experience the freedom of being your child. God, I, I don't, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I don't want to live the way that I have. Jesus, I want you to step into my life and I want you to change me. I want you to make me whole. I want you to make me pure. 
and this is a daily occurrence in our lives that we say, Jesus, I need you. Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your heart to Christ because you, you, maybe you're thinking, you know what? There's too many hypocrites. I don't want to be like Christ. Well, if a hypocrite is standing in between, between you and God, guess what? The hypocrite's closer to God than you are right now. And I think that in my own life, and I think, God, I, I look at other people, but I don't look at my heart. I don't examine my own heart. And there's a time when you come before God and say, Jesus, I'm done running. I'm done putting on the show. I want you to make me clean. And church, that's when you see the beauty of the body of Christ is when a church is authentic before the Lord and he changes us and he convicts us and he shows us that, that you know what, Dan, you, 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 need to, you need to love your wife more. You need to put me first instead of putting all these other things. He might not say to you, Dan, personally, unless that's your name. But church, let's use this time to get right with him. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, Maybe God's calling your heart to say, you know what? Today is the day that I want you to experience the freedom that I offer on that cross. I'll give you opportunity here with every eye closed, every, every head bowed. If that's you today, I encourage you just repeat these words after me in your heart. Dear Jesus, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that there's nothing I can do on my own to make me love or make you love me. But Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to make me a new person and to wash me clean. And I want to live for you in your precious name. Amen. I want to encourage you as we sing this song, don't worry about other people around you. Don't worry about anything else. If you need to spend time with the Lord as we sing this song, um, come and just spend time. You can pray up here. You can pray in your seats. Um, but just let this be a time where you say, Lord, I want to get back to the heart of worship. I want to get back to worshiping you and put all the other things aside. Because in the end of time, there's only one name by which we are saved, and that's Jesus Christ. And so let's draw near to him now.